0: This is the How Design Live podcast, hosted by programming partner Elise Benin, national speaker, author of seven business books for creative professionals, and founder of marketing-mentor.com. Listen to her lively conversations with past and future How Design Live speakers about the business of creativity and creativity in business. Here's Elise Benin. Not everyone with an idea or an entrepreneurial mindset will launch a startup, but there is a role for you because as the economy speeds up, corporations that can't or don't evolve are much more likely to go extinct. That's why, whether they know it or not, corporations need change agents with the ideas and the courage to spark that process. That's where intrapreneurs come in. On this episode of the How Design Live podcast, I speak to Greg Larkin, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author of This Might Get Me Fired, a manual for thriving in the corporate entrepreneurial underground. Greg says that inside of every huge company rests a dormant volcano of entrepreneurs waiting to be activated, waiting to disrupt the status quo waiting to create an innovation inflection point, but they often suppress their innovation superpowers for fear of being ostracized. They keep their heads down, follow the formula, and try not to make too many waves. Sound familiar? If so, it may be because entrepreneurs are often the quote-unquote creatives. In his session at How Design Live, which is called Punks and Pinstripes, The Secret Society of Exponential Entrepreneurship, Greg will bring us into the room at Google at Bloomberg and more, where bold entrepreneurs refuse to slow down and defer their dreams. I got a taste of his session and his ideas in this interview. So listen and learn. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. Please introduce yourself.
1: Uh, I'm Greg Larkin. I'm the author of This Might Get Me Fired. And I'm the founder of Bowery 315. And I'm a lifelong innovator in startups and in huge corporations.
0: Excellent. And let's just start with your book title, This Might Get Me Fired. What does that mean and why is it called that?
1: This Might Get Me Fired is essentially the realization I had that in in any huge corporation, very often we see the, the ribbon cutting ceremony of when great innovation comes to life. We see how their stock price moves. We see how there's a new product that everyone is very excited about, but we very rarely know who built it and the process they went through to build it. And I've spent my life launching products and huge companies, and I know exactly who built it and I know exactly how they, what they went through. And very often that starts with this incredibly bold, scary moment where someone says, I understand that I'm taking an enormous risk by doing this. I understand that very powerful people and entrenched processes don't want this to happen. And I'm doing it anyway, even if it gets me fired. And I've, uh, so the reason I, I, I named the book, what I named it is because I, I think that's one of the most misunderstood and unheralded acts of entrepreneurial bravery in any domain And I wanted to kind of call it out and and share, A, how it feels to be that person and, and also to kind of redirect the innovation spotlight on those unsung heroes.
0: And when I hear, this might get me fired, what I wonder is, I imagine you have examples in the book, and I'm wondering, did those things get those people fired? Or is that just a fantasy, like a fear that one puts in one's way?
1: Both. I have many examples of people who did get fired. Uh, One of the the first products I ever launched, not only did it almost get me fired, it almost put my startup completely out of business. Uh, I, I was one of the first people to predict the 2008 financial crisis when I was the head of products. For an investment research firm called um, Innovest, and every bank on Wall Street who was a client of ours wanted to kill me, <laughs> and, and, and threatened to, and threatened to sue me, and threatened to kill my company. And I'll, I'll never forget my CEO Matt Kiernan saying to them, "You can fire us, you can kill the client, but he's right, and and you know we will fight this to the death and." we wound up being having that call being one of the first to predict one of the biggest financial you know inflection points of our of our generation so i think that i've revisited that moment over and over again in my career and sometimes it gets people fired but more often than not there is this sort of barrier to innovation that turns out that everyone thinks is sort of insurmountable. And and then as soon as someone's like, well, let's just test that. Let's see if that actually does get someone fired. And suddenly the entire organization changes. Um, Everyone realizes that the barrier was imagined and not real.
0: And we are talking because you will be speaking at How Design Live in Chicago, May 7th through 10th. And your topic is Punks and Pinstripes, the Secret Society of Exponential Intrapreneurship. So, of course, I want you to tell us what the heck that means. And I also want to focus on this word intrapreneurship and how it mm, overlaps or dovetails with entrepreneurship, because we're speaking and the listeners are both creative entrepreneurs and perhaps potentially creative intrapreneurs and I want to understand what that is.
1: Sure. So I think an entrepreneur is someone who typically will work in a startup and has a mandate of solving an entrenched problem in a in a differentiated and innovative way. If you're an entrepreneur, you are probably wired with that same sort of intrinsic drive. But you work inside of a huge company. uh, And inside of those huge companies, they're very often more afraid of change than they are of extinction. And the job of an entrepreneur is to recalibrate that. Yes, you have to launch something that the world needs and doesn't yet have. Or create something that the world needs and doesn't yet have. But you also have to redirect the risk equation inside of some of these gigantic organizations where they're more afraid of extinction than change. And that means building alliances. It means taking enormous risks. Uh, It means acting as a cultural change agent and not simply someone that creates wonderful Innovations. Uh, There's also a, a sort of element of organizational transformation that has to go alongside it.
0: And a lot of the listeners are or consider themselves to be creative professionals. And I'm curious if the type of people who are entrepreneurs are also tend to do they tend to be creatives and what kind of mindset does this type of person have
1: so they are a hundred percent creative almost always are you sure yes (laughs) um is that how you think of yourself i definitely think of myself that way i actually almost became a painter and fell in love with economics which is very strange
0: (laughs) But (laughs) but maybe it makes a certain sense
1: well, kind of. I I, um, I I was never very good at math, but at some point I kind of realized that economics is the ability to tell a, a story about what's happening around you with numbers. And then suddenly math made perfect sense to me, all of it. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of was able to see it for that, it I couldn't get enough. It became an amazing canvas for seeing the world and um, making sense of events. And so I, I I think there's enormous creativity outside of the um, confines of, of what you would conventionally call design and exploring that has been completely thrilling. So yeah, I do think of myself as creative, but I think what makes me more creative is building i think in every huge corporation there is this secret society of entrepreneurs of creative people that try to blend in that try to look and act and behave like everyone else because there's this sort of unwritten set of rules that that's who gets ahead that's who stays out of trouble and there's proof all around you, of who has a voice and who has power and who makes money, that sort of reinforces that that dogma. And I think one of the many of the m- proudest moments of my life have been kind of empowering those people to sort of unfurl their freak flag, meaning that you're weird makes you the most important person here. That you have an understanding of what is the cost of not innovating for this organization that you have an understanding of who needs this company or who needs this product or who needs this industry to be more than what it is and have a innate sense of how to get to create that thing you're more important than anyone else and and, and as soon as you own that power and and go from the sort of dormant to active, you know i I've seen just the most amazing change and transformation both in terms of how people feel and who has a voice and and who's proud of their work and the sort of cultural transformation and the fulfillment the sense of um being fulfilled <laughs> that people carry with them and you know that i' I've, I've i've just I've seen that happen so many times to the point where I, I think at this stage um I think it always starts there before anything is designed or built or launched. I think it always starts with the secret society of entrepreneurs finding one another and emboldening one another and empowering one another to do their greatest, most entrepreneurial work.
0: And actually, I just need to... Do a plug for How Design Live right there because that's what How Design Live is. I don't think you've ever been, but uh, I've been for 25 years almost in a row. And it is the place where people who are kind of alone and outsiders within their big corporations, because sometimes they're the only designer, come and find their fellow freaks, as you're calling them, but we say it in a very endearing way. (laughs) And so, um, you know, that's just one of the benefits and the networking opportunities there. But I just want to come back to this idea of, you know, flying the freak flag or speaking up and using their voice because at the same time, a lot of these people call themselves, consider themselves not only creative, but introverts. And that I see is a huge internal obstacle. And so I'm curious if you see that too, and if so, how do we help them move beyond that?
1: Yeah, I, d- I don't view it, introversion as an obstacle. I think, I think introverts have a critical role to play, actually, in that transformation. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of very specific people I know and have worked with and love dearly and have I'm so like thrilled by the work we were able to do together. And I I tend to be, um, I don't know. I grew up in Queens and I'm a little bit more blunt than is necessarily right. And so I, I'm always the person I, I, I operate in, in a huge company under the premise that opposition is validation. If you're not pissing anyone off, you probably haven't innovated anything. And, that takes a very specific type of personality to embrace that having said that that's not always the most effective thing and building a coalition of introverts who love the ability to hunker down and create and and have the sort of autonomy and the space to not get involved with the organizational power dynamic and and just need coaching from someone who's not going to let that trickle down and enable them to do their, the work that they're best at and create the things that they love to create that gives them all of their juice. Um, Those partnerships have been unbelievable. I think there has to be a very clear sense of, of the role that the introvert has to play in that dynamic, but it's, it's, completely mission critical otherwise you're just having an argument about how an organization should change but you don't have any assets you don't have any artifacts or creations that serve as a sort of proof point of why and what it's going to look like afterwards once that change happens and the introverted designer is like so mission critical to creating that case
0: But you're also talking about partnerships and relationships. And I always think about networking in that context and maybe even a certain uh, need for political finesse to navigate that power dynamic. So do you have any suggestions or mm, best practices for doing that well?
1: Yes, I do. Introverts are not people that only stay to themselves. Uh, introversion shouldn't be conflated with a loner or someone who's very shy. Um, there's a dynamic where they feel very comfortable being their true self and building relationships. And so I think it behooves them. It's a f- think of that and be really clear with themselves around, is that, is that me out for coffee with someone I trust? Does it mean that they're limiting the number of people that they hang out with? Is it is it mean that they're asking friends of theirs who they do have a very intimate and good relationship with to introduce them to people and create another sort of layer of intimacy? What they don't need to force themselves to do is quote-unquote work a room. They don't need to go into a board meeting and be the person presenting and, and force themselves to be the spokesperson. They need to be mindful of where they're comfortable sharing what they have to say and, and, and expressing things that they think people need to hear and couldn't hear from anyone else. Um, and I, I think creating, being mindful about what those constraints are and figuring out what that dynamic is, 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 is hugely important. And I think the flip side of that, where you're forcing yourself completely out of your introversion comfort zone, could backfire. It could invalidate the entire process or create such a horror show of a scenario where you didn't wind up saying what you wanted to say. You didn't build the relationship you wanted to build. And the idea of ever going through it again is, is just horrifying. <laughs> and that's, that's a shame for yourself. It's also a shame because the, per, the organization probably does need you. And, and being mindful of where you are and the circumstances where you are your best self is pretty important.
0: And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking it probably requires a certain amount of creativity. So bringing one's creativity to the cultivation of these relationships and really trusting your gut about when to speak up or what exactly to say, or maybe even holding your tongue before you, you know, be too blunt or just waiting for the right moment. You have to trust yourself to do that.
1: I think that's absolutely true um one of the hard lessons that i've had to internalize is when you're making a case for change in any environment you have to do it in a way where people can hear you and being empathetic to understand where those openings are or how to create those openings and reading the situation um is a really important muscle to develop. Um, I also have a an amazing story about that. I used to be the head of innovation at Bloomberg for many years, and in my side of the organization, I had to wear a suit most days, and I was involved with launching new products for financial services companies and for investors. And I will never forget the day that I met Hansel Perez, who is the an amazing. Designer who still works at Bloomberg, and he's a wonderful friend of mine. But the way I met him was, I was in the middle of a of a product launch that was going terribly, and I went outside on the porch at Bloomberg's office in the Upper East Side, and there was someone out of the corner of my eye who I caught who was drawing a still life with watercolors, and he was um, painting a, a vase of flowers that was always on the at Bloomberg and he was wearing like jeans and a t-shirt and he looked just like someone I'd be friends with and he wasn't talking to anyone but it was he was on some unconscious level he was extending an invitation for me to introduce myself and I did you know I, I studied art and he turned out to be instrumental in terms of he's an incredible animator and he's an incredible designer and he was instrumental in helping me afterwards with some of the products that i launched he's instrumental in connecting me into his network of innovative designers after bloomberg and i don't know his kids come to my house all the time and you know he's he's one of my best friends i love him dearly and so i i think there's ways to extend an A sort of silent invitation for people who are part of your tribe to reach out to you if you are an introverted
0: designer. Excellent. I have one more question before we wrap up. I'm sure we could talk forever and we will when we get to How Design Live in May. But I want to apply what you're saying to creative entrepreneurs, creative solopreneurs, people who are not working within this large organization, people who are whose clients are these large or sometimes even small organizations, and perhaps they feel uh, indebted or like they might get themselves fired even if they're not an employee, right? If they're the vendor, if they say the wrong thing or bring the wrong idea or try to innovate too much. So, Is there anything you would add or a different angle on it if, you know, for the solopreneurs, basically?
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, I would say the, the biggest angle is never pitch an idea, only pitch an outcome. And what I mean by that is when you don't, have experience walking in the shoes of someone who is a big corporate client, when you don't understand the meeting that they're having after the meeting they have with you, having a pitched battle about your ideas versus theirs can come off as tone deaf. It can come off as insensitive to what they have to navigate and and how they have to, the mountains that they have to scale inside of their own organization. The flip side of that is that no one risks anything when they say no to an idea. And in many organizations that are especially risk-averse, it makes someone with power look like they alone have the prescient foresight to see into the future and calculate with their mental math calculator about the absolute disaster your design or your workflow is going to do, create, And say no today so that they can avert that. And I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it makes executives look good to say no to an idea.
0: Or feel like they're in control, it sounds like. Or feel like they're in control, absolutely.
1: And outcomes are very different. The more you validate, the more you are not going into those situations with corporate clients and saying I believe I understand your market better than you understand your market. And I think my idea is right and your idea is wrong. That's an unwinnable argument. It's an unwinnable fight, even if you're correct. The extent to which you're able to generate results, this is how that design is performing. This is how people are interacting with the app. This is what we're hearing from the market about the package design of that label. This is how that social media campaign is performing. We have outcomes that if we had to do this on our own would give us a very strong case for proceeding and investing further amounts of money. Now there's a risk to saying no, because you're standing in the way of a mission critical outcome that someone else could create. And use against you. And I think having an understanding of what validation looks like as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, as an agency, and getting to that place rather than having it be this council of wise men and women saying, yeah, that looks about right. I love the way you've... I love the colors you've picked. I think that's the right font. I think that's the right user flow. I love how you've... I love the copy. That's not... uh, that's completely subjective. And I I would argue that it's, it's, it's an unwinnable fight.
0: Actually, what's interesting about that is so many creatives feel satisfied and validated when the client likes their work. And I'm constantly trying to point out that it doesn't matter actually whether the client likes your work, it has to work.
1: Yes, absolutely. And what does it work in, like, you have to define as early as you can, it working means what? <laughs> what does working mean? And sometimes
0: the client doesn't even know.
1: No, and and but then you have to come up with your own definition of success mm-hmm. and, and, and challenge them on that and be the advisor that they trust to sort of help them refine the definition of success. And what are those criteria? How can I be uh, a trusted kind of consultant mm-hmm. in the room when you don't know what that is? Right.
0: All right. Unfortunately, we're going to have to put the bookmark there, Greg, but I have a feeling there might be a part two to this conversation. So tell the people where they can find out more about you and your book and your work and tell them where to go.
1: So they can hit me up on LinkedIn. I am Gregory Larkin. Uh, I have a website, Bowery315.com. And Elise, um, I'm going to share my email because uh, I'll Um, I'll tell you why. Um, I did not write this book or build my brand for the purposes of gratuitous self-promotion. I built it because I fundamentally believe that every entrepreneur should never feel alone and they should never feel stifled and they should build community with like-minded pirates. So anyone who feels that way, please, I would be very upset if you didn't reach out to me. I'm greg at bowery315.com.
0: All those pirates listening, please email him. Please do. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, we'll see you at How.
1: All right. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Me too.